0: Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. We're going to pray now for the sermon, the preaching of God's word, but also we're going to pray for the war that broke out in Israel, for the conflict that's going on that we all woke up to that news yesterday. And uh, before we pray, I'll just say this too, that I I just covet your continued prayers. My parents are in Israel right now with um, a team from their church. They were in the Holy Land when this all broke out. So they're stuck sheltering in place in Galilee right now and struggling to get out. And so um, I just covet your continued prayers for, for them and for the members of their church that are there as well. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do come to you this morning acknowledging that you are the sovereign Lord of all. God, we know that the news that we all woke up to yesterday regarding this new, very intense conflict in Israel didn't take you by surprise. You're not alarmed. You're not overly concerned. You understand what's happening and you have a plan and a purpose in all of it. And so God, we as believers here in Santa Barbara and for Christians around the world we take great comfort in knowing that we have a sovereign God seated on his throne ruling over the affairs of humanity. But Lord our hearts do break as we see the images coming out of the Holy Land. As we see people who have been killed and bombs that are exploding and buildings that are collapsing, Lord it, it grieves our hearts and we know that all of that suffering grieves your heart as well and so God, as your people, we would ask, we would cry out to you today and ask that there would be a quick end to this conflict right now. God, we also would pray for the safety of every innocent civilian there in the land of Israel. God, would you protect the innocent lives there? Father, we pray for comfort for the families who have already lost loved ones. We know that the death count has been climbing, as has the the count of those who have been wounded. And so, Lord, we just pray for great comfort during this incredibly sad and difficult time. Father, we also pray for the many who have, who have been taken hostage, who have been taken captive by Hamas. Lord, would you be with those folks now? They must be so afraid, so terrified. Would you please meet them where they're at? Would you even draw people to yourself through this terrifying experience? But God, we pray for the safety of all of those, particularly the the women and the children who have been taken hostage. God, be merciful. Father, we pray for my parents and their church. God, we pray for the many other foreigners who are in Israel for various reasons that at this moment would love to get out, would love to get back home to wherever they're from. God, would you be gracious and open up passageways for my parents and their church and the many others to ultimately get out of this war zone and get back to a place of safety. And Father, lastly, we just pray for the Christians in the Holy Land. God, the churches that are there, the believers that are there. God, in the midst of their own fear for their lives and their safety, would you supernaturally give them a capacity to love and minister and preach the gospel during this incredibly difficult time? And God, we pray that one of the great effects that would come out of this really terrible situation would be that there would be a great harvest of souls. That people would look up and know that their redemption draws near. That people would turn to Christ in faith and find that he is a solid rock and a wonderful Savior. So God, do a mighty work and let there be a mighty harvest of souls through this conflict. And Father, we pray now for this time in your word. God, would you minister to us through the preaching and the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for praying with me. Would you please be seated? How does busyness affect your time with the Lord? How does busyness affect your time with the Lord? Your devotional life, your life of prayer, your life of meeting with God in His Word. How does busyness affect your time with the Lord? I could just stop right there, I'm sure, and walk away. And the Holy Spirit has a lot of ammunition right now to work on all of our hearts. Because even in constructing that sentence and that question, I found my own self challenged as I thought about the ways that busyness impacts my life with the Lord. I mean, when life gets crazy, when you feel like you're going 100 miles an hour, when you've got midterms that are looming, or things are going difficult at work, and there's extra loads being put on you, or there's strife in your family, or whatever it might be, when life gets really, really busy and really, really crazy, the question for us this morning is is this, does that cause you to cut out your time with God, or to lean into it? Martin Luther, the famous reformer, was a man of prayer. And I tried to trace this down to see if this is really his quote. Nobody knows for sure, but this is a quote that is widely attributed to Martin Luther. He's quoted as as having said this. He said, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Crazy, right? Now, people did attest to the fact that they knew that Luther had prayed many times for multiple hours in a row. Most of us, myself included, often say it this way. If we were to construct a similar sentence to Luther's, we would say, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three minutes in prayer, right? I got to get to my to-do list. I've got things that need to get done. I just have to rush through prayer and get to these things. But what a different perspective that Luther offers to us. His way of seeing things was he was saying, look, it's because I have so much to do today. It's because there are so many demands on my time and my life and my schedule that I must devote myself to serious prayer. I have to get away with my God and spend time with him. I bring all of this up today because of what we've read together here in Mark chapter one. We've seen a glimpse here into Jesus's practice of prayer and of communion with the Father. If you were here last week, you'll recall that Jesus had a very busy day of ministry in the city of Capernaum. He began his morning teaching in the synagogue. So he opened up the scriptures and he was teaching the people from the word of God. During that process of teaching and ministering in the synagogue, he was confronted by a man who was possessed by a demon... And Jesus exercises this demon. He drives or casts out this demon from this man. After a long morning of ministry in the synagogue, Jesus and his disciples go back to Andrew and Simon's home, where they probably wanted food and rest. But instead, as they walk through the door, there's a new need that's presented to Jesus. Simon's mother-in-law is lying there on her deathbed, essentially, sick with a fever. And everybody brings this to Jesus' attention, hoping that he'll heal her. And of course, out of compassion, he does exactly that. He touches this woman. He heals her. He raises her up from her sickbed. And after that, as the sun began to set that day on the Sea of Galilee, rather than the workflow slowing down for our Savior, we read this. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Jesus would have been wiped out from a long day that carried into the night of serious and intense and grueling ministry. Added to that that the needs that are pressing in on Jesus show no signs of slowing down. In fact, on this next day that we read about In these verses, the disciples will come to Jesus and they'll say to him, Jesus, everybody is looking for you. And so this is a busy, busy time of ministry in the life of Jesus. And yet, despite all of his busyness, Jesus makes prayer his priority. And of course, if our Savior found it necessary in the midst of his life to carve out time to commune with the Father, and to pray to God, how much more should we, weak, fallen, sinful humans, make prayer a priority in our lives and in our ministries? In this text, then, the first thing that we see modeled for us in the life of our Lord is the priority of prayer. And we see this in verses 35 through 37. Let's read them again and really soak in the word of God this morning. Here's Mark 1, starting in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. We'll stop there. We see the priority of prayer Modeled for us in the life of Jesus here, both in the timing and the location of Jesus's prayer. Notice with me the timing of it. Mark writes this, he says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Now I know that different people have different routines for their devotional life. Some people like to spend time with the Lord first thing. Others, perhaps on a lunch break. And others still like to spend time with the Lord primarily in the evening. But family, it should not be lost on us that Jesus here and elsewhere in the scriptures made prayer his first order of business. And I would suggest to you that there is incredible wisdom and benefit found in following his example. Nothing communicates that something is a priority to you like putting it first. Whenever something is first, again, that shows, that reveals, that communicates that this matters most, this is my priority. And one of the great advantages of doing so is that it ensures that your time alone with the Lord happens before the cares of the day get after you. It wouldn't be long before the disciples themselves woke up, found that Jesus was missing, Notice that the crowds were already coming back to the same door that they had left the night before and they're banging on the door again. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? We've got more sick family members. We have other people who are possessed by demons. We have more needs here. And all of a sudden the disciples say, we've got to assemble a search party and we've got to go find the Lord Jesus. And from that point on, Jesus would be occupied with the cares of the day and the needs of the people. He'd be getting pulled on in every single direction. Everyone is looking for you are the words of his disciples. You ever feel like that? Everyone is looking for you. Do you ever feel like you're being pulled on in every single direction? Like you can't get a few moments to yourself? I mean, think about your day. For many of us, I assume that Pretty early on, you've got housemates talking to you or your spouse or your kids asking for things. Of course, in our digitally connected age, it isn't long before people come looking for us via text message or email or direct message. I mean, we're, we're starting to get pulled on from those initial moments when we wake up. It's no surprise then that a study several years ago revealed that one third of dads that were surveyed admitted to using the bathroom as a getaway when their other half is nagging them and to avoid the children. They just sneak off to the bathroom. Stay in there much longer than they need to. And moms, you're not off the hook. Because after they found that, they said, you know, we should survey moms too. And what they found is that many moms reported doing the exact same thing. I think workers do this as well, don't they? I don't have the data to back this up, but I bet the average time a trip to the bathroom ever since the advent of the iPhone has gone up significantly. People just go in there and it's downtime now and it's time to sort of recalibrate and just get a break from all of the noise and all of the different people and things that are pulling on us. I think what many of us are clamoring for in our digitally connected age is we're just asking for a a break from constantly being needed. We want our attention spans to just get a little bit of a breather. Because for many of us, once the day gets going, it's like a sprint until the day is over and your best energy is already spent. And at worst, we bypass our time with the Lord altogether. And at best, we give the Lord our frazzled, exhausted, and distracted selves. And so Jesus gets out ahead of all of that. Jesus makes his practice to say, you know what? I'm going to get up before the sun even comes up. I'm going to get out ahead of that. I'm going to make prayer my priority. I'm going to go commune with the Father before the needs and the distractions of the day begin pressing in. Friend, if your routine is to wake up with just enough time to get ready to rush out the door, You might want to rethink your wake-up time and budget in time to be with the Lord. But it's not just the timing of Jesus' prayer here that communicates the priority of prayer for him. It's also the location. Look at what we read. It says that he departed and he went out to a desolate place. Now, we don't know exactly where Jesus goes here. But we do know it's a place of solitude. Um, The word desolate there is the same word, the same Greek word that is translated wilderness back in the wilderness temptation narrative, where Jesus goes out into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. So Jesus goes into a a remote place, a desolate place. It could be that he just took a walk into nature outside of the village of Capernaum. He goes on a prayer walk with the Father. But the bottom line is that Jesus decided that he would leave and go to a quiet place. He got out of the home where other people were at. He went somewhere where he could be alone and where he could be free of distraction. I wonder where you go to when you have quiet time with the Lord. I wonder if when you think about the location that you're at, if you could even call it quiet time. Or is there a lot of noise, a lot of distraction? Now, depending on your season of life and circumstances, it might not be possible to do exactly like Jesus here. Jesus, at this point, is an able-bodied, single man. What that means is he can just get up and go anywhere he wants to. He's able to leave the home and head out into the woods for this quiet time with the Lord. And again, that might not be possible depending on your season and stage of life. I certainly wouldn't recommend that both mom and dad go to a prayer walk in the Los Padres National Forest before the sun comes up with a two-year-old and four-year-old left back at home. Not smart. You can't do that. So we might not be able to do exactly as Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 1, but all of us can still make an effort, okay? Whether you're living in a dorm room that's crowded with other people, whether your house right now is filled with a large family, it doesn't matter. We all can still make, it in, make an effort to get alone in a quiet place and minimize our distractions. How might we, in the modern West, minimize our distractions? Well, first I would just say this, I think, helps underscore the point that we were already making. Namely, that getting up early and starting our day with the Lord is a really, really wise way to approach things. Whenever possible, if you have children in your home, I would encourage parents to beat your kids up. I don't mean beat them up that way. Don't ever do that. But beat your kids up whenever possible. Whatever your kids' time for getting up is, is it possible to back the clock up a little bit further for yourself and say, I'm going to get up before the kids wake up because we know once our children are awake things tend to be a little chaotic and there's a lot of need and a lot of pulling on mom and dad. But again, I think if we can get up early before work is calling, before family is pulling on us, we're setting ourselves up largely there for success to be free of many distractions. There's so much that could be said here, but just another thing I would encourage is, is, is what about if we left our iPhones out of our devotional lives? I think many of us sit down with our Bibles and our phones. I know I'm guilty of this, that plenty of mornings I wake up and I check my phone before I have my quiet time. And as I was reading this passage, I was thinking, why would I do it that way? That's not helpful because now my mind is already being occupied and distracted with news and with things that are ahead of me and what's coming on my calendar throughout the day. And so what if we said we're going to get up and we're going to actually set our phones aside. Let's not touch those yet. Let's just spend time with the Lord. How much less occupied might our minds and our hearts be? And less distracted might they be if we just said, the phones have no place here. So family, Jesus makes prayer a priority. He starts his day off undistracted and in the presence of the Father. What are the benefits of following the practice of Jesus here. There are many, I'm just going to suggest for us two this morning that we can see here. The first is this, that when we do what Jesus is doing here, we give God our best self. We give God our best self. Now, some of you might push back and say, Pastor, my best self doesn't show up until after lunch. Right now, I'm not a morning person. I don't do well in those early hours. It takes me a little longer than most people to wake up. Fair enough. I'm not going to argue with you about that. It might be true that you feel most energized after the day has gotten going. But I'm not talking simply about you being your most energized self. Your best self is your most rested, undistracted, and present self. And again, as we've been describing, once the day already gets going, it'd be very hard to argue that that is your most rested, least distracted, and most present self. And so this allows us to be present with the Lord, giving him our very best self. Number two, the second benefit is that we are given renewed focus on our calling. This is really, really significant. Because when the disciples find Jesus, again, they say to him, everyone is looking for you. The comment is actually likely a mild rebuke. They finally find Jesus. They're exasperated because all these people are clamoring for the attention of Jesus. And they're like, well, you're his disciples. Where is he? Didn't he sleep in this same house with you guys? Where is he? Uh, We don't know. We don't know. So when they finally find Jesus, they're a little bit exasperated. And they're saying to him, Everyone's looking for you. Or to put it differently, they're saying, what are you doing out here? You should be back in Capernaum with us, ministering to all of these people. You you abandoned us. You left us on our own. Don't you realize that there are ministry opportunities abounding back at my house? So it doesn't take long for Jesus to begin getting pulled in all these different directions People are making demands now on his time. People are having opinions about what he ought to be doing with his day. You can can read the subtext here with the disciples. They're saying the priority is you continuing that healing ministry you were doing last night. Because now even more people have shown up and they're looking for that Jesus to show up. So they've got opinions about what Jesus ought to be doing that day. But look at Jesus' response. Verse 38. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus says to the disciples, when they say everyone is looking for you, he says, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not going to actually continue healing everybody in Capernaum. In fact, my time in Capernaum right now is over. It's it's concluded. I'm moving on to other towns in Galilee to go about the ministry of preaching. I'm going to go preach the gospel in these other towns. Friends, after spending time in prayer that morning, Jesus has a renewed focus and clarity regarding his ministry and his mission And even the demands of a thousand people in Capernaum cannot derail him. He is so laser focused and crystal clear on what God has called him to do. That again the demands of his disciples and tons and tons of people are not going to get him off course. And so one of the great benefits of starting your day off with the Lord. Is that it provides perspective and clarity and focus for your day. As we sit first with the Lord, and we immerse ourselves in the truth of His word, and we sit and we pray with God, our minds and our hearts get reoriented. We're reminded of the truths of God's word, that, that I belong to Him, I'm a child of God, and we're reminded of the mission that God has called us to, that we're called to love God and love our neighbor and lead other to, or other people to do the same. We're, we're, we're heightened in our sensitivity that there is an enemy out there and there's temptation that I'm going to face today, and we're armored up and we're prepared for that. All of this prepares us with focus and clarity about what really, really matters. Because again, you're going to walk out the door, and the day's going to get going, and everybody else is going to have an opinion about what really matters that day for you. Everybody else is going to have an opinion about what you should be giving your attention and your focus and your best energy to. And what we so often find is that we'll get to the end of our day and we'll reflect back and we'll go, oh my gosh, I totally lost focus. I yielded to these temptations. I missed out on these opportunities to love and serve and minister. Or I missed out on this opportunity to share the gospel with somebody that God brought into my path. And I was so focused today just on making money or just on playing with the kids or whatever it is, which there's nothing wrong with those things. They're good things in their proper place. And so as we get alone with the Lord, again, we are given greater focus and clarity on who we are and what God has called us to do. And so when all of Capernaum comes knocking on the door of Jesus, or maybe knocking on a tree, Jesus is not dissuaded. He says, no, I'm good. I know what I'm called to do. And he actually heads out, to the next towns, to do what? To preach the gospel. And so we see that Jesus made prayer a priority, and we ought to do that as well. But notice also that Jesus makes preaching a priority. We see the priority of preaching in both Jesus's statement and in his practice here. The title of my sermon for this morning is this, The Focus of Jesus's Ministry. We see here in verse 38 that the focus of the ministry of our Savior as he walked the earth for three years was a focus on preaching. He tells his disciples, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came out. In Luke's version of this story, he says, for that is the purpose for which I was sent. Jesus is saying that that's what I'm about that that's the focus of what I have come to this earth to do although Jesus cared about physically healing people as evidenced by the many people he just healed the night before his priority was preaching the gospel of God and this must have surprised his disciples right I mean put yourself in their sandals Jesus had become an overnight sensation in Capernaum. He's become an instant celebrity. Everybody is singing his praises. Everybody knows Jesus now. Everybody wants his attention. There's ministry opportunities abounding here. And so for the disciples, it's a no-brainer. He's he's probably going to set up shop in Capernaum maybe for a few months. He's going to hold some crusades like Billy Graham would do. He's going to have a healing ministry here. He's just going to stay here in Capernaum and just sort of ride the wave of popular opinion until this thing swells beyond Capernaum. But after just a single day here of doing ministry, Jesus says, I'm good. We got to move on. We're going on to the next towns. And the reason for that is because he had a mission. Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus came here 2,000 years ago to call sinners to repentance. Jesus came here 2,000 years ago to share with the world the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And here's why this was his priority. Healing provides temporal blessing. Okay, if you're blind... As people were that met Jesus in the Gospels. And Jesus touches you. And he heals you. And he restores your sight. That is an unimaginable blessing. But fast forward a few decades. And you will be dead. And the blessing of having your sight restored. Will have been over. Same is true if he restores your hearing. Or your paralysis. Or any other thing that you have. When A person today has cancer or has some other thing and we pray and we ask for God to heal that person and he does. That is a tremendous blessing and we give God thanks for that. But if cancer is not the end of your journey, something else will be. We are all still going to die and so healing has a shelf life in what what kind of blessing it can bring to you. The blessings of healing are temporary. However, the blessings that preaching leads to, are eternal blessings. See, when Jesus came and he preached the gospel, and then when we still to this day preach the gospel, and somebody hears the good news of all that God has done for us to forgive us of our sins and to restore our broken relationship with him, and we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, all of a sudden, we have eternal life. All of the sudden, because of the death of Christ Christ on the cross, our sins are washed away. All of the sudden, because of the resurrection of Christ from the grave, our physical death is no longer the end. And we have life with God forever. And so the blessings that come as a result of the preaching of the good news have eternal benefit for those of us who respond By faith. In fact, one of the main purposes in the Gospels of Jesus healing the sick. And Jesus casting out demons. Was to authenticate the message that he preached. Yes, he healed people as an act of compassion and love. I'm not downplaying that at all. But we're going to see actually in chapter 2. A clear example of this. That Jesus heals people. In part. To prove to the people that what I am saying to you. My preaching is actually from God and it's actually true. So in a sense, you could say even the healing ministry of Jesus exists to support and serve the preaching ministry of Jesus. That is his priority. Because he's looking out at the world and he's saying, I'm like a shepherd and I'm looking at at, at sheep that are lost. And I love them and I want them to be saved and I want them to spend eternity with me. And the only way that faith is born is through the preaching of God's word. Faith comes through hearing, hearing the word of Christ. So Jesus prioritized preaching. And family, there is certainly an important lesson here for us. In the last hundred years, we've witnessed the explosion of the charismatic movement and charismatic churches. And in these churches, there is a strong emphasis on the spiritual gifts, especially the extraordinary gifts, sometimes called the sign gifts. Things like healing or prophesying or speaking in tongues or exorcisms. And one of the effects of that has been the elevating of those gifts and the diminishing of preaching in some of those churches. And this is tragic. Added to that, that in the last couple of decades, there has been a pivot in a growing number of churches toward what is sometimes called the social gospel. Where churches that are gathering together every Lord's Day like we are, have made their focus and their emphasis in ministry on ministries of mercy and justice. And of course, these are important ministries and they have their place. But one of the effects of this pivot in focus has been an elevating of those ministries and either a diminishing of preaching the gospel or just fundamentally misunderstanding the gospel altogether. And brothers and sisters, this is a tragedy. Jesus made preaching the good news his priority. I don't often do this, but I want to read a lengthy quote for us this morning. And it's from Bishop J.C. Ryle, who's probably best known for a book that he wrote on holiness. Um, But he's written widely. I would commend anything written by Bishop J.C. Ryle to you. It would edify you tremendously. But he's writing over 200 years ago, or almost 200 years ago, I should say. And here's what he wrote in his commentary on Mark about this passage. He says our Lord declares that he came on earth to be a preacher and a teacher. He came to fulfill the prophetical office. To be the prophet greater than Moses. Who had been so long foretold in Deuteronomy. He left the glory which he had from all eternity with the father. To do the work of an evangelist. Therefore he says I came forth. We ought to observe here what an infinite honor The Lord Jesus puts on the office of the preacher. It is an office which the eternal Son of God himself undertook. He might have spent his earthly ministry instituting and keeping up ceremonies like Aaron. He might have ruled and reigned as a king like David. But he chose a different calling. Until the time when he died as a sacrifice for our sins, his daily and almost hourly work was to preach. Therefore, he says, I came forth. Let us never be moved by those who cry down the preacher's office and tell us that the sacraments and other ordinances are of more importance than sermons. Let us give to every part of God's public worship its proper place and honor. But let us beware of placing any part of it above preaching. By preaching, the church of Christ was first gathered together and founded. And by preaching, it has ever been maintained in health and prosperity. By preaching, sinners are awakened. By preaching, inquirers are led on. By preaching, saints are built up. By preaching, Christianity is being carried to the heathen world. There are many now who sneer at missionaries and mock those who go out into the highways of our own land to tell others the good news. But such persons would do well to pause and consider calmly what they are doing. The very work which they ridicule is the work which turned the world upside down and cast heathenism to the ground. Above all, it is the very work which Christ himself undertook. The King of kings and Lord of lords himself was once a preacher. For three long years he went to and fro proclaiming the gospel. Sometimes we see him in a house, sometimes on the mountainside, sometimes in the Jewish synagogue, Sometimes in a boat on the sea. But the great work he took up was always one and the same. He came always preaching and teaching. Therefore, he says, I came forth. Let us leave this passage with a solemn resolution. Never to despise prophesying. First Thessalonians 5.20 The minister we hear may not be highly gifted. The sermons that we listen to may be weak and poor. But after all, preaching is God's grand ordinance for converting and saving souls. The faithful preacher of the gospel is handling the very weapon which the Son of God was not ashamed to employ. This is the work of which Christ has said, "Therefore, I came forth." End quote. Friends, I hope that you find it as remarkable as J.C. Ryle did. That our Savior came to this earth and made preaching his priority. It is our duty as Christians to make sure that preaching of the word always has a central place in our life together, in our public worship. And it is our duty to make sure that the preaching and the teaching of the good news of Jesus Christ remains central to every single one of our lives and all of our own ministries. Jesus himself said, for that is why I came forth. Our passage today ends with a hint of the significance and the power of preaching. Notice that as Jesus goes throughout all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues, he has ongoing encounters with the demonic. Look at verse 39 again. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Everywhere that Jesus was preaching, the demons were opposing. Of all the things that we as Christians do, nothing threatens the kingdom of darkness like the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. May we then, like our Lord, make it our daily practice to prioritize prayer and the preaching of the gospel. Father, we do ask that you would strengthen us to be a people who prioritize prayer. God, we know the value and the benefits of spending time with you. God, we know how it nourishes and refreshes our souls. We know how it realigns our focus and our priorities. We know how it encourages our hearts and our faith. And yet we are so easily distracted. It's so easy for me to just turn my attention to other things. To offer quick prayers here and there. To just rush through reading scripture. And so Lord, I ask that you would forgive me. We ask that you would forgive us. And God, we pray that you would help us to prioritize prayer. God, even if this week we could see some major shifts in the way that we spend our time with you, we would be so much the better for it. So God, would you supernaturally by the Spirit work in each of our lives a prioritization of prayer. But God, we also pray that we would give priority to the Word of God. As the people of God that gather here Sunday after Sunday at Apostles Church, would you help us to always and forever keep the preaching of the word central in our worship. And God, we pray that we ourselves would be committed to sharing the truth of the gospel with those we know. God, of course, we are called to good works, to meet people's physical needs, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And God, help us to give ourselves to that great work. But God, we pray we would never ever allow those good works to be a substitute for the great work. The work of preaching the truth of the gospel. So that those people that we love and that we're trying to love might ultimately experience eternal life. God help us. We ask this now in your name. Amen.